Before we dive into the episode, I want to talk about my company, Virtual Assistant Staffing Agency. We do exactly what it says. We staff virtual assistants for business owners wishing to scale. Whether you need help with administrative assistance, bookkeeping, cold calling, content creation, data entry, lead generation, or even social media management, we can hire the perfect virtual assistant for your team. And the best part, it's only around $4 an hour. If you're interested in learning more, head over to our website, www.vastaffing.agency and book your demo call. Now, on to the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am the host of the Entrepreneurism Podcast. I'm here with Joey Carson. Joey is a 25-year veteran in the entertainment industry, the current president and CEO at Elevator, the previous CEO of Bunham Murray Productions, and he's responsible for the production of shows such as Cops, America's Most Wanted, The Apprentice, and Survivor. Joey, how's it going, man? Well, actually, let me correct you. I didn't do Apprentice and Survivor. We did, uh, as Buna Murray uh, CEO, it was Real World, Road Rules, The Challenge, gotcha. Simple Life, the big groundbreaking show with Paris Hilton back in the day, So, um, and, and a whole bunch of other things. So, Well, there you go. But still big names in the show business. So uh, you've been around a lot of I would say high level people and you probably know a lot of different strategies for overcoming things, especially in the entrepreneurial world. Before we dive into that and dive more into your story, I always ask this first question to get us kicked off. What's the dumbest thing you've ever spent money on? How long is your show? <laughs> uh, gosh, uh, the dumbest thing, you know, I've, I've bought so many crazy things. I can't, you know, honestly, I, I would probably have to say, I remember one time I spent a bunch of money on, uh, actually it was like a start your own business kind of a thing. Um, this is long. It, this is way before the way things are now. Right. Um, and I think I've spent like $5,000 on it. And it, it, it was not that it was a bad program, but I just, I didn't do it. <laughs> so it, it probably could have been the best thing I spent money on, but right. I didn't follow through. I didn't do it. So it was, I think that was, and at the time, $5,000 was a, a whole lot of money for me. To yeah. Do. I mean, for a lot of people now, 5,000 is a lot of money, but I imagine however long ago this was even more so. Oh yeah. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. But Joey, like I said before, you're a 25 year veteran in the entertainment industry. You're a current CEO of Elevator, which is a pretty big company, especially in the online entrepreneurial world. So how did you get started and do this? I know you were born and raised in Texas. How did you end up in the entertainment industry? Wow. Uh, that's a, that's another very long story, but uh, <laughs> it's, well, it's not something I in intended. Um, you're right. I, I grew up in South Texas, uh, Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, my youth was kind of like uh, Friday night lights, basically. I grew up doing the Texas football thing and all that. And um, I put myself through college by uh, playing the drums in two different bands. So it, it was kind of nice. When I was younger, I, uh, in, in college, I would go to school in the morning, teach tennis in the afternoon, and play in the band at night. And, uh, and made more money in the band um, than anything else, including job offers that I got when I was like about to get out of college. But my real dream was to uh, be a rock star, surprisingly enough. Uh, well, actually, my first dream was I wanted to be in the NFL. And then, it was, you know, that wasn't going to happen. But then I thought I could be on the ATP tennis tour because I was a nationally ranked tennis player uh, pretty much all my life. And, uh, and then, well, that wasn't going to work out. Um, but then I thought, well, Hey, I, if I should be a drummer. Um, so on a whim, literally, uh, I was out here on a trip for my younger brother's uh, college graduation and an opportunity arose for me to have a big audition for, uh, John Fogarty's band, the guy from Creedence Clearwater. Mm. And they said, uh, this was like on a Thursday, and they said, uh, when can you be here? I, I said, I'll be there next week. So I came <laughs> home, quit my job, threw my drums in the car, and my best friend uh, drove me out here, and boom, I was here. Uh, my hair was down to here, um, and I had all I had was tennis clothes. I, and so I went and did that audition, which was very fun, didn't get it had a lot of interesting drum things happen over the year. And then I had to get a job. 
and um, I got a job at a bank for about six months. And but then an opportunity came for me to go work at Columbia Pictures Television uh, uh, as an accountant in the corporate uh, finance department uh, on the production side. So I, um, I I'll, I'll just skip to the, the macro part. So I worked in corporate finance at, mm-hmm. at Sony for five years. Then an opportunity came for me to go to Fox. This was in the formative years of Fox. And ultimately, I became the head of production and finance for the Fox's uh, 20th television. Um, so I was overseeing um, all the cable production, syndicated television production. Back then, that's when we did movies of the week. So I did like all the alien nation movies and things like that. Right. Then uh, the opportunity came for me to go to Buna Murray, which was a, a very risky move in my career at that time because I had worked for about 10 years to that point to, and I was a vice president at the studio, which um, it, especially back then and, and now too, is kind of a big deal if you get to the vice president level because you get a certain level of stock options and salaries and things like that. Right. And I stepped away for that to go work at Buna Murray and everybody thought I was insane doing it because at the time they were a smaller production company, but they were obviously very groundbreaking in what they had done. And I had worked with them before they did something for us at Fox. So anyway, I got over there and worked with them and we were able to turn the company into this giant behemoth that um, it was at the time and is even more so today. And so that was kind of the early part there. but underlying all of that was a lot of time and a lot of hard work. I worked 12 hours a day, every day, sometimes longer. Um, and I just, I just worked my butt off. Um, and I was fortunate enough to work with good people above me. I had good mentors and good other people in the organization that I learned a lot from. They included me in a lot of meetings that I otherwise would not have been in and met a lot of good people. It was unique because I, I had great visibility and access to people on the studio side, mm-hmm. but because I was in production, I got to meet a lot of powerful producers and directors and, and pe- you know, people of that nature. So I was just able to really learn and just kind of take it in from a lot of different areas. Would you say the inclusion of, of being able to meet these people and be in those meetings and kind of learn from a more high level side you think that would contribute to you being able to actually take Buna Murray to where it went? Because, you know, you went to California as a drummer, you ended up as a CEO and that's a big jump, right? And two completely different worlds. Yeah. So I imagine going, working through Fox and, you know, climbing the ranks and being involved in all these high level meetings and productions and stuff that had to have contributed to being able to create what Buna Murray became. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I think it's it's important for, um, you know, your audience to know in that a lot of this, a lot of what I've been able to have happen to me in my life or the things I've gotten to do that I've been so fortunate to have happen, really, there, I never set out to do anything. I, I just worked really hard. And a lot of it was, I would say, almost in spite of myself. I mean, if somebody, um, like I, people say to me all the time, they say, oh, you're so disciplined and you, you seem to do this and that. And I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> I don't want to do anything. I, you know, I procrastinate when I don't, you know, it's like, I, I, it, despite whatever it may look like on the outside, I'm, I'm just this regular guy that has, goes through the same struggles. And so I think that it's, the, the, I think the advantage that I had was, and, and, I, and I'm lazy, I don't like to work, you know, but I am good with accountability. If you leave me to myself, I'm, you know, like George Costanza and uh, Seinfeld says, you know, I'm sitting, watching TV, eating a block of cheese, right? <laughs> um, but if you like, if, but if I have a workout partner or a boss or a colleague, man, then I'm like, I'm going. So I need to have structure around myself kind of some outside guardrails or accountability that keeps me going. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's was really key to that. The other thing too is, and I noticed this now because now I'm kind of like the old guy, right? 
Everybody in the organizations that I work with are generally 20 years younger than I am. Um, but I, I think the advantage I have is that working in these organizations, I learned how to function in an organization uh, and get along and cooperate and build coalitions and work with people. Because again, I'm very lazy. I don't like authority. I'm very rebellious. I'm the kind of person where if you tell me to do X, I'm going to do Y just on purpose to make the point that I'm not listening to you. So I'm very, I have that side of my personality where I'm just, you know, I, I fight that. Now, at the same time, if I have a good boss or a coach or a mentor, you know, I can be Tiger Woods, I can be Michael Jordan, I can be Larry Bird, right? Conversely, if you put the wrong boss or wrong person around me, then, you know, I'm the homeless guy on the street, you know, right. getting in trouble. It's like, I will rebel against that in the worst possible way. So also, and again, I've been, I've, I've been lucky because I've had some really bad bosses and I've had some really good ones, but more importantly, even beyond that, as I've, I've had been, been surrounded pretty much my whole life by phenomenal mentors. And so that I think is really the X factor right. is having good mentors in my life. Cause um, you just, a lot of time it's, you learn by osmosis, you know, I'm around these older guys that, you know, have been through it all, you know, now, now it's kind of like, I'm one of those guys, right? Right. right. I, the guys that I had in my life, I'm now that guy to a lot of people now. Right. Um, which is enormously gratifying because the way I see it, it's, it's, you know, if I can kind of tell you, or if I see, if you and I talk about a situation, maybe you're facing, I might be able to save you some time and blood, sweat, and tears by telling you, you know, go this way instead of that way. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, that, that does make sense. And, you know, when I, when I first started in this quote unquote entrepreneurial world, I thought it was such a great area of like, what mentors or coaches do you invest in? And mm -hmm. I think, you know, by, by no means am I done learning. I'm, I'm never done learning, but I think people need to seek others who have done what you want to do or have gone through what you're currently going through, right? Because like you said, it saves you time. Could you get through a current obstacle or figure something out yourself? Absolutely. You probably could, mm -hmm. but do we have the time to figure that out? And I think that's really important, but on the topic of being in these meetings, and like you said, really learning from experience and osmosis and stuff like that, I imagine at times you felt in over your head, right? In these meetings thinking, why am I here? I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what strategies need to be deployed from this meeting. So do you think it's a good method for entrepreneurs or just high level individuals to purposely put themselves in situations where they're in over their head? Absolutely. You, you will never be ready. Um, for what's in front of you. And, and, and in fact, if you don't reach beyond that, you're never going to get anywhere in your career. Right. I'll give you an example. So put yourself in my position. I'm this kid from a small town in Texas. I'm here in, in Hollywood, which is arguably the second most brutal work environment, political environment next to Washington, right? It's tough. It's, you know, and at the same time, all of the people that are in the organization around me, they're all Harvard MBAs, we went to Stanford, Princeton, Yale, all these Ivy League schools. They're very disciplined. They're very buttoned up. They're very uh, competitive, very aggressive, very smart, right? And so I can't even tell you, probably a good 10 years or so. Um, I wasn't intimidated by that because, again, I was right there, and plus I was such a hard worker. Um, you know, and I, and, and, and I had the real world day-to-day -day experience of problems coming at me from, cause when you're working in, in either television production or film production, especially around the world or whatever, there's always like 20 problems that right. you have to solve production problems, problems with the talent, legal problems. Like it's just nothing, but so all you're doing is solving problems in crisis all day long. And at a certain point, I can't remember when, I think it was a certain point when I was at Fox, um, I, I, I slowly overcame that because I remember I was, um, 
at least maybe not outwardly, but I was inwardly timid or deferential to all these other guys who, by the way, were my age or younger. It's not like they're a bunch of older guys, like just my peers. But again, they had all these credentials. They were lawyers and this and that. And I remember over time kind of thinking, you know, why am I conceding so much or, or thinking so uh, less of myself, I guess, if right. that makes sense. And um, because I'm, I'm a very competitive person myself. I mean, I've been an athlete my entire life. You know, I don't like to lose. Um, and, you know, I fight hard. But in this one area, I had this kind of, I guess, insecurity. Suffice to say, I eventually overcame that, mainly through the things that I was able to achieve uh, and, and by the performance that I had that was noticed by the people above me. But there was a long time there. So, you know, my feeling on that is I think everybody goes through that in their life, especially if you're young and early in your career. And it's just a matter of... Um, and again, some people have this, I see this a lot in the Instagram world that we're in, like uh, they can almost have like this false confidence or this right. the, almost, a, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but, you know, kind of like a certain hubris and, uh, or an overconfidence or which is like a projection. And, and for me, I was kind of the opposite of that. I was very shy, reserved, I wouldn't say shy, but I would just, you know, keep to myself. But there's a balance there. You know, I think there's a, a certain level where, you know, your ego needs to be in check. And then there's times when it actually, you know, if you don't have a sufficient a, a amount of a healthy ego, you're going to get walked all over. Right? right. And so, you know, but I see almost the, the opposite of that now, uh, just from what I can see of a lot of these younger guys that are doing things on Instagram or whatever. Um. You know, the other thing I would say that the advantage I that, or that served me well was this corporate experience that I had, again, in spite of myself. Like today, I'm the kind of guy that would say, no way am I working for a company. I'm going to go start my own business and this and that. I just happen to do that later in my life. Right, right. right. But, the, but I do have the advantage of having to work inside all of these systems, the banking system, the legal system a big giant corporate bureaucracy, right? Having to build coalitions and things like this. So I think one of the things I see that miss, that's missing a lot of these younger guys or even older guys is they've maybe grown up and they built their business. Maybe they have a really successful $100 million a year business, but they've only done one thing, that, right? So, and, and they're world-class at that. They're great at that. They're better than anybody and they're really good. But the difference is, they're kind of siloed into a certain way of acting or thinking or whatever. And they're less likely to take in other information or be open to like best practices from other areas or whatever. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And, and you know, to go back on the whole Instagram thing, I think do, I think people do have this false confidence. I don't think confidence is bad. You have to have confidence to succeed in the real world. For sure. But I think people allow the confidence to get to their head and that can be the source of failure. And inevitably, right? I think people have this ego of saying, you know, I've made a million dollars a year. I've done this. I can do whatever I want. But yep. I, I think it's it's to keep your ego in check. It's remembering what you've always done or what you've already done and being proud of that. But also knowing that you're not done yet and that you have another ladder, another rung on the ladder to climb. And I think successful entrepreneurs or maybe even entrepreneurs, people who are working corporate, I would classify you as an entrepreneur until you became what you've become, right? But which is still just as valuable. But I think people succeed and reach their goals at a certain area, but they stop climbing. And I think it's really important for anyone to say, okay, I succeeded here. What next big failure can I pursue to become better? to get better at, at me or get better at a different area, right? Just like you said, people who run the $100 million business, let's say that's around cupcakes. They're really good at making cupcakes. They perfected it. But if they say, you know, I want to start making cookies now. They're going to fail. They don't know how to. They don't know how to sell cookies. They don't know how to sell cupcakes. They don't know how to sell cookies. But what happens when you get good at selling cookies? Let's go sell something else. And then you expand your business as a result. But I think people... I don't think people try to get in over their head enough. That's why I asked that question initially. I think people have become comfortable and complacent 
and they measure their success on what other people are doing or saying on Instagram, right? And they're not measuring it against what they actually want in life. For sure. Like, uh, well, let me just fundamentally, I would say, you know, at this age in life and where I am, uh, life is about transformation, uh, continual transformation. And it's also about, uh, in the way I look at that, it's like levels, right? It's almost like in in some way achieving certain levels of consciousness, right? Or certain levels of, of personal growth. It all comes down to that. Like, I'll give you an example. I have, I'm the kind of person where as soon as I know what my future is, or there's a ceiling, I get nervous. I can't like the reason I left Fox when I was, was the, the next logical progression there was for me to become the president, right? That wasn't going to happen because for a lot of reasons, one people that have my position don't get that job. And number two, I was the kid in the organization. So no one in the organization was going to see me as that or support that. And I knew I wasn't going to be the president. Right. So that's why I kind of got out of there. Other, but I've had other guys that have been in the same job for 25 years and they're very successful and they do very well. I couldn't handle that. Like, so I always like a certain amount of, the unknown. I want to always have an unlimited possibility in the future. You know, like I can win the lotto tomorrow, you know, that sort of thinking. Right. Uh, Because if I know that I'm boxed in, I'm like, you know, you might as well just put me in a prison. I I can't handle it. And I think Um, a lot of people too, I mean, and and again, there's nothing wrong with people who want to work that same job their entire lives. We need economy needs people like that. Right. But there are a certain breed of people who, want to think outside the box and they have to pursue those challenges and maybe they're scared, right? I think there's a lot of people out there who are working, we'll just call it what it is, a dead end job. And they're scared to do anything else, even though that's what they want to do. And, you know, from your perspective, and and we're kind of leading into something we we talked about, you know, pre-recording, but how do people make that leap? How do people know what opportunities to pursue do they live on the streets and figure it out or do they have to save up for years and years and years to just work for themselves? You know, I I think there's so many great areas around that. And in your experience, I'd love to hear how you would navigate around that. If you were in someone else's shoes today, that's going through that situation. Um, Well, I've been in that situation uh, countless times in my life. Um, So I think I think, the way I look at it is number one, despite all the negative things that are happening wherever you might be and wherever it is. And we've all been there. I've been there at least a dozen times in my life, at least. Um, Rule number one is be grateful um, for where you are. Um, I remember I was talking to a Catholic priest one time um, who's a friend of mine and I was, bitching about something. And he, and he kind of looked at me and he said, he goes, have you ever thought to thank God for your problems? <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, I was kind of, I said, uh, no, actually. <laughs> and I, that always stuck with me because I thought, yeah, you know, you think about it. It's like the only way that you really grow in life in anything is because of problems. It's, exactly. it's, it's having an opponent, right? It's like, if you look at all the great athletes in history, it was because they had a great opponent. You know, my, Magic Johnson had Larry Bird, you know? Exactly. Um, Roger Federer. And by having that significant opponent forces you to go beyond where you normally would be. So, number one, if you're sitting where you are and you don't like it, number one, just be grateful and realize because – Think about it for a minute. If you didn't have that job, it's way easier to get another job or do the next thing if you have a job right now. Right. Right. Because you occupy the position you do, you can point to it, you're seen, you're visible, and you are this thing that you are now. Secondly, is I would think about areas that where the strengths that you have line up with something you want to do. I'm not a big, you know, there's a lot of stuff you see on the internet, you know, follow your passion, follow your dream. I agree with that, but 
you can't just blindly do that quite frankly. Right. Like you, you know, now there may be a way you can tangentially go in an area, right. Where all the things that you do are, that are good and whatever it is, like if you're in a finance person or something, you know, every single company needs a good finance person. So maybe you're a finance person at a bank and you hate it, but you're a finance person at an entertainment company, right. Or a social media company or that might be a hell of a lot of fun. Right. right. So you can take what, who you are and just transfer it to a different industry. So I think if you have a job, um, you want to try to align it to where I think more of your interests are. Absolutely. Give me an example. When I was at, when I was at Fox, uh, actually before that, I was in um, at Columbia. I was on the corporate finance side. Um, by the way, that was a complete fluke. I never wanted to do that, but you know, I ended up there. I made the most of it. But I realized, so I was on the corporate side. This is the other part of, about being grateful for where you are. That first five years of that job, I learned everything there is to know about corporate finance at a major television studio. Right. Everything. And if I wouldn't have had that job, I wouldn't know that. I knew everything about treasury, banking, cash flow management, payroll, accounts payable, all everything. Audits, IRS, taxes, everything. Stuff that I never would have bothered to learn, could have, could have cared less about learning, but I was forced to because of that job. That being said, I wanted to, I knew if I was going to advance in my career, I had to get out of there because I'm not a CPA. I didn't have an MBA. I didn't want to be a CFO or a controller or whatever. And I needed to get closer to the action. So I actually took a step back in my career and went to work as an assistant production accountant on a television show. Uh, but what that did, so I took a cut in pay and a cut in substantial, like backward step in my career. And I went over there, but now I was on the, on the lot. I was working in the show offices where we shot all the shows. So I was around Married with Children, Who's the Boss, Days of Our Lives, Young and the Restless, uh, 227, all these shows that were going on every day, plus all the pilots. So Again, I still wasn't doing what I wanted to do because I didn't consider myself a finance guy. Right. But I was in the action. And so then that's where I started to get noticed. That's where I'm now I'm interacting with people like Norman Lear, who's a television legend, right? Producers like that. So it's kind of a weird long answer to your question. But my, my thing is, is like, don't discount where you are. And try to find if whatever you, wherever you are, can you transplant that somewhere else that's even in a better direction? Because ultimately, I, I, my whole life it was kind of like The Godfather. They keep pulling me back in because I didn't want to be the the finance guy, right? Right. But the truth of the matter is, if I w wasn't the finance guy, I wouldn't be the CEO. I wouldn't have gotten the CEO opportunities that I did. Um, the I wouldn't have gotten the first one, and I wouldn't have been as effective at that or all the subsequent other CEO jobs I've had, this gigantic financial background I have that I hated, that I did everything in my power to avoid, ends up being probably one of my greatest assets and the thing that I'm the best at because it's just second nature to me. And it makes me a way more effective person as a CEO. Absolutely. And, and I completely respect that too. I have a finance background as well. And there's a book by Tillman Fertitta, owner of the Houston Rockets, who says, there's too many founders who don't understand or CEOs who don't understand finance from a really granular level. They just don't understand it. And he said right. That's an issue because if I'm going to invest in a company, I'm going to ask you about a lot of KPIs about, you know, sales or expenses or whatever. And if you can't answer them, I'm not interested because it shows me that you haven't put the effort in to learn an area of your business that you obviously know nothing about, but you know, when you learn more about it, you're more mm -hmm. effective as a leader, you know? And I think it's really interesting that, you brought up the, the passion thing earlier. You know, I, I've interviewed Bradley on my podcast and he talks a lot about this. He says, people say, chase your passion. And he says, it's bullshit, complete bullshit. Yep. Because there's not always opportunity with your passion. And right. A subsequent interview, which you might know Jeff Finster because he's connected yeah. with Fleischman. Yeah, we has, work with uh, Jeff all the time on his uh, Everbowl company. Yeah, so he's Jeff awesome. is awesome. Jeff's an awesome hey, dude. And he said it too. That really stuck with me. He said, think about it. People are chasing their passion. 
He says, think about like you're chasing someone on the playground. It's running away from you. You're <laughs> chasing something that you're never going to catch. Right. So yeah. that was where that really stuck with me. But back to the whole Bradley thing, he says, people discount where they're at today. They are working at a job or they own their own business and they hate it, but they're making good money from it. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're making good money, but they're saying, man, this is not where I want to be. I'm unhappy. I hate my job. I want to chase my passion. He says, well, what you should do is, like you said, leverage where you're at today because you can leverage wherever you're at. Leverage your position. Use that money. Use those connections. Use that network to be where you want to be. It's a process. And I think people my age don't want to go through the process. They want everything now. And it yeah. bugs me, right? Because I'm young. I understand that I want things quickly, but you have to understand to get things quickly, you have to put the work in. You can't well, let me tell you, success. I, I chased my passion for the first like solid 10 years, maybe 15 years. You know, I played in bands. When I came out here, I had this day job. I was I played in four different bands. Well, more than that, but four bands that were signed to record deals. Um, I recorded, I played on, I don't know, probably a dozen uh, albums, a, a movie soundtrack. I played every club, the, the Whiskey, the Roxy, the Troubadour, um, like all, all those famous clubs on the Sunset Strip. I played them at least a dozen times each. There, there was a time in my life, um, even when I was at Fox, I would go out and I would play a show I'd, I'd go rehearse with the band like a couple of nights a week. This is after working 12 hours a day, by the way, every day. And then we'd play a couple times a week. And then I'd do a show at the Roxy on like a Wednesday at midnight. Right. And think about that. <laughs> I have to take all the drums over, right. set it all up, um, you know, play the show, tear it all down. I get home at like three 30 in the morning. I'd be at work the next day. I right. did that for years. Right. And so, I was pursuing my passion. I had fun. And it just at a certain point, my career got so big that the only way I was going to quit to pursue my passion is, you know, if, if I got the, the drum job in Van Halen or something like that. Right. Uh, which would have been fun. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and I did a lot of fun. And by the way, I played the, I just recorded some stuff. Um, the last thing I did was about six or seven years ago um, on the record. So, you know, you can still do it and have a lot of fun, but, but I agree with you. It's like you, you know, people ask me a lot of times, I used to give speeches and things like that, you know, on college campuses and uh, cause people see that you're a CEO and they just, you know, the question I always get is like, well, you know, what was your plan? Like what, like what plan did you execute to become the CEO? Right. It's like, it was like the opposite of a plan, right? Like everything that happened to me is like, in spite of all my own personal failings and, and shortcomings, uh, it was just hard work. I mean, there's no, I think that's the thing. And, and you just hit on it. You got to work your ass off, man. The whole, and it's, by the way, you know, I didn't mention at the beginning, I dropped out of college five times. And high school. High five school twice, right? Pardon? You, you dropped out of high school twice, right? That's, yeah, I dropped out of high school twice. Um, it, it was a very tumultuous time in my life. Um, but yeah, I, I, any chance for a football scholarship or tennis scholarship was lost. Uh, I barely, uh, I ended up graduating half a year late, uh, which was extremely embarrassing. And then I was, you know, a maniac when I was a kid and I partied and everything. And I was actually going back to school. I'll never forget this. I was 22, 23 when I went back to college and all of my best friends had already graduated. Right. <laughs> and my, one of my best friends, he got a job uh, working for, I think Goldman Sachs on wall street, making $80,000 a year. Now that might've might as well have been $8 million a year back then. Right. So I, and here I am 23, just going back to college. So I think that, so I always felt like I had to catch up. Right. Uh, Cause I saw all my friends take off and get ahead of me. And so I always felt behind. Right. Um, you know, and I just worked hard, you know, and, and that continues honestly to this day. I, people ask me all the time, like, why are you still doing this or why are you doing what you do? And it's just like, I just love it. I love what I do. I love the people I work with. 
Dan's great. All the guys on my elevator team are fantastic. Um, and, and everybody works really hard because I think they also see that I do too, you know, right. they see that I'm not, you know, um, I guess the, the, you know, if I just spent time just being the CEO and the visionary guy, um, it, you know, it, Elevator's not that kind of company. You know, if I was running a bigger publicly traded company or something like that, um, you know, I could, I guess, function more like that or act more like that. Right. But the truth of the matter is, you know, you know, at, at our company now, I kind of do everything. I'm the CEO. I'm the CFO. I'm the general counsel. Um, I'm also the Xerox guy if I need to be, you know, uh, I for, for years, I, for 15 years, I always had two assistants because when I was running things and doing all that, I don't have an assistant at elevator. Now I just do it myself. Yeah. Um, and it's actually fun. And it's funny as I think about it, you know, when I was running the studios or even Buna Murray or even Dr. Phil, the, like think about it. We always had like 10 television shows at least on the air or, you know, th that were going on the air. And then we have things in, in development that we're shooting pilots on or this or that, or, and, you know, every time you do a television show, that's like starting a, you know, $20 million company, right? right. You basically take an idea and you model it out financially, all that. And then you've got to do all the creative things around it. You got to cast it right. You got to do that. And you got to, then you have to go sell it to a network and it's got to get picked up. And then you go into production and you build it. It's very, it's basically like building company after company, after company, after company. And I realized that, um, and I never really thought of it that way until later in my career when I thought, you know, if I just looked at every one of these television shows, it's really like starting a company from scratch. Absolutely. I've, I've literally done it a hundred times. Um, and so I think that's where we are like with elevator and a lot of the stuff that we're doing, especially now with the rolling fund, it's like, uh, and you know, Dan, his experience is a little bit different. Um, but I think the two of us combined, it's interesting because really I've been doing the same thing all this time too, is starting, you know, coming up with an idea, figuring it out, testing it out, mm -hmm. uh, modeling it out, and then looking at the market and where can we put it? And then boom, off you go. So, um, and to me, that's fun. So no matter how big elevator gets, or whatever it's and even in the other companies i was at world poker tour same thing we just ran it like a startup yeah um because the thing about that is is when you're in a startup you if it's going the way it needs to be going there's always a sense of urgency right you there's no time to sit back and you know you celebrate the wins that you get but it's on to the next thing it's just like if you're on a football team, you have a great win. Great. You got a game next week. Exactly. Right? And, and you got a game the week after that. And you got a game the week after that. And you're trying to get to the playoffs. And so that's how I tend to approach running the business. It's, you know, if you think, just use the football analogy. Okay, we got a game this weekend. What do we have to do? What do our opponents look like? Where are they strong? Where are they weak? What, where do we need to look at ourselves? What do we need to do better? What have we been consistently missing over time? What have we been consistently doing well? Right. Um, and all that. And, and I'm very, um, you know, I don't, in, in all my years as a CEO, I've never uh, viewed it as like, I'm the boss, right? Or, or, the, or people uh, work for me. That, that's I've never liked that phrase. And when I've talked to people and they go, oh, yeah, Brady, yeah, he works for me on this or he works for me on that. I don't see that at all. I, I, I just that, I don't to me. It's like I work with people. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's like, you know, I'm the quarterback. Right. I'm on the field with you in real time the with team. everything coming at me. Thank God I have you guys blocking for me. Thank God I can throw the ball to you or I can hand it off to you. Or you know what? If I have to, I'll run it. Right. If I need, that's why I like Russell Wilson a lot on Seahawks. He's, <laughs> you know, he's kind of like, 
he's a he's just fantastic. Um, but you know, it, 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 when it comes down to it, if he needs to run the damn thing to get the first down and get smashed at the end, and he knows it, he's just going to do it. But I think too, Joey, there's there's a huge difference between being a boss and being a leader, right? And I think people who are leaders see the people around them as their team, whereas bosses, like you said, that person works for me, that person works for me. But I think when you act from a boss mentality, you lose that culture. And I think culture actually propels companies forward. I really do. Yeah. And I think especially yeah. in startup phase, right? Like you yeah. said, working with urgency. And we talked about it before, reaching for that next biggest failure. How can we get up the ladder just one more rung? And I think when you act from a leader mentality, everyone's on the same page. Everyone wants to keep climbing the ladder. But from a boss perspective, no one wants to work for you. No one, you're going to tell them to do something. They might do it, but it might be half-assed because they can't resonate with your vision or your message or anything like that. Cause they don't, there's no team, there's no culture. And I think it's really important. And what you've done as a CEO is really cool because I think a lot of people, it seems like a lot of younger people now are, are designating themselves as CEOs, right? They're starting their own business or calling themselves a CEO, right. whatever. It sounds great. But I think from the beginning, people need to understand the importance of being a leader and culture in a business. Cause I think that ultimately is, is a key part of the formula to success. I really believe that. Well, you made a lot of really good points there. I mean, uh, I view my role, uh, the exact opposite of the way it's like what we said, like where somebody says, I work, you know, the, oh, that guy works for me. Right. right. The, the, the real truth of the matter is I work for everybody else. I, I really believe that. Like I don't, I tell my guys all the time, you know, I'm here to support you. Like, and, and so my title of, as, as the CEO, it's really the, the office of the CEO, right. right? And it may have some weight attached to it because of the things I've accomplished or, you know, who I am in the community. But at the end of the day, it's the office of the CEO, right? So to me, it's like, I'm here to help uh, clear any obstacles that you may encounter. Like if somebody's something's going wrong or whatever, think about it. If the CEO is involved, that's a big deal, right? Uh, especially from an outward perspective. Right. Um, and similarly, there's a lot of times where I encourage my guys, like anyone on my team, like sometimes they'll say, hey, can you do this or do that? Or, you know, call this guy or do that. And a lot of times I'll say, no, you should do that. Right. And, and or, or they'll say, well, I'm going to take this meeting. We want you in it. And I'll say, well, does it make, let me just ask you this question. Should the CEO, not me, because I'll do anything. I don't mind. But should the CEO of the company be in that meeting? And they would say, well, no, not really. I said, I go, again, think about it. The, if a CEO is in the meeting, that's a big deal, right? right. Th that's you're talking, you know, you're either closing a deal or some big deals coming in or whatever. Otherwise, I don't need to be there. And I want to support you because the more I can build the credibility and uh, both, especially externally for my guys, um, and, and also boost their own confidence in themselves. To, to, it's, it's almost like in some ways, like um, being a parent and it's like, you know, I could solve every, I have two daughters. You know, I could solve every problem for them in three seconds, but that's not really going to help them. Right? right. So same thing. That's my approach to work. It's like, you know, um, so I, I view myself uh, or my role in the company more as, you know, as a CEO, definitely you have to set the vision and the goal and uh, and like where we're going and, and what we're all about. But but after that, it's really more um, to me. I like working with everybody as a team and as an individual. Because a large part of my job, when you're the CEO, you're kind of um, how do I say this? It's the the organization is a is a collection of humans. Right. right? And so you have a collective human emotion. And um, so, and that, that kind of moves and acts with its own force. And that collective emotion is in part set by the individual emotions of everyone on the team, but also me and how I act. That, that was one of the things I really had to learn, you know, a long time ago was that 
being in such a visible role, especially if you have a company where you're the CEO of like a thousand people or something, which I have been, it, it's almost in some ways like, it, it, like think about it. If the president of the United States, no matter who it is, anything they say immediately gets dissected. Absolutely. And, and part, right. Well, the same thing is very true in a, in a company, the CEO, you're always, people are always looking to you, whether you know it or not, or whether they even know it or not. Is he in a good mood? Is he in a bad mood or what? You know, cause I remember one time, long time ago, I got mad about something. I can't remember. And you know, boom, it's like all over the building. Like, you know, uh, cause I, I usually never get mad. So I think, if I get mad, there's definitely something wrong because I usually don't do that. But when I do, you know, I'm usually just like, I want to solve the problem. So I think that it's really just a matter of that. Like, it doesn't even matter what business you're in. It's, it's, it all comes down to human interaction um, and individually and collectively. So the more I can help everyone in the company, in every company I've ever worked at, ever worked at I know every single person personally that works at the company. Uh, and I usually meet with them, um, be, you know, even when we had, you know, seven or 800 employees at, at one of the, you know, like Buna Murray, I knew who everybody was. They knew me. I talked about, you know, cause I think that's very important. It's very important. It's very important to, to know your team. Cause like I said before, you're building that culture. Right. And I think when you, when you're a CEO, a lot of people have this notion that, Oh, he's untouchable. You can't talk to him. Yeah, in the corporate world, I, I used to work at UBS, and I used to always joke. You know, the the CEO of UBS is Sergio Armadi, or it used to be, and he he stepped down actually November first. But I used to always joke with my team. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna message him on Skype, and they're like, well, you'd probably get fired if you did that. And I'm like, I get it, right, from a from a corporate perspective. But do you really want to work at a company where the person that you work for is untouchable, right? And I think that that's a weird concept that people can't fathom. So, so I commend you for the way you, you carry yourself, not only at Buna Murray, but also at Elevator. I think, I think it's really, really important to understand that being a CEO has a lot of different responsibilities, but at the end of the day, you're in charge of the humans that work for you. And when you can create that culture that just cultivates success at every level, that's a key to success. And, and there's no reason the company should fail. But Joey, We've talked about a lot and I know it's going to be really, really good episode for my audience to dissect, but we're going to go and start concluding. The last question I always ask, Uh well, the question that a lot of podcasts ask is what's a piece of advice? I think it's a very cliche question because the advice is littered throughout the entire episode. But the question I ask is a bit deeper. Why do you love what you do and why is it important for all people, entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs to also love what they do? It's a really good question. Um, you know, I, I, and thank you for asking it because, you know, you, know, you never step, take a step back to ask those things of yourself. Uh, you just do what you do. Right. Um, why I love what I do now, I, I think is a, a few reasons. Number one, I, I don't feel like I'm doing any work. I feel like I'm being myself. Right. And, and, uh, and I'm very, very lucky to be able to feel comfortable in my own skin and that I'm doing, I'm not even doing anything. I'm just being myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Make sense. Uh, and, and by being myself, what I mean by that and why it's so comfortable for me right now is I feel that every skill, talent, ability, inclination, hunch is operating at the highest level that it could be. I don't feel impeded in any area of my, my personal or, or whatever the sum of me is, is not being impeded in any way. In fact, it's being used uh, at its highest capacity to, to actually help everybody else. It's, I don't, I, I always, I was joking around with somebody, um, 
like, you know, uh, as you know, I'm married and I have two daughters and it's like, I, so my joke is I consider myself expendable (laughs) in the sense that I want everything I do to go towards them right? and to support them, to take care of them. And I feel the same way about everybody that I work with. It's like, so if I show up or I'm there, I'm not there to say what's going on. And I'm there to say, what can I do to help you? Right. Right. Um, So I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I love it just because, I'm just getting to be myself. You're you. And I, and I think that's really important for people to understand is when you're just being yourself, you're, you're right. It doesn't feel like work. And when it doesn't feel like work, you're able to do more. And everybody knows if you want to scale a business, you just got to do more, right? It's just everybody wants to scale their business. Just do more, do more, do more of what's working, do more of what's working, do more. But Joey, we talked about a lot of gold nuggets and I'm really excited for this episode to release before we conclude completely, where can my audience find you and where can they find elevator? So, um, I'm pretty easy. I, uh, on all the platforms I'm at Joey Carson. So on Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, <laughs> uh, and, um, our, and, uh, the company's elevator studio and our website is elevator.studio. Uh, and if people want to email me, they can just email me at joey at elevator.studio. There you go. Yeah, guys, reach out to Joey and let him know what you thought about the episode. I'm going to include all those links in the description. But Joey, I appreciate your time, man. Thank you, Brady. And I appreciate all the things that you're doing. And uh, everything I've seen you doing is really great. And I wish you the best of success. And I'm here to help you moving forward in any way that I can. But keep doing what you're doing because you're doing really good at it. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneurism Podcast. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 a.m. Central Time. We would greatly appreciate if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. I'm Brady Morgan, your host. We'll see you next time.